One thing that is true uh, about parenting, uh, parenting really does change you. And if you have yet to have the privilege of having kids, parenting changes you a lot. And so the question we asked earlier in community time was, or, well, and I just want to kind of get a feel for the room. How many of y'all are like 15 minutes early is on time for you? How many of you, you're that way? Okay, like the type A's in the room, that's us, okay. Uh, how many of you, you're more like, I'm always rushed, but I'm more or less on time. How many of y'all is that? Okay, all right, all right, I love the honesty. How, how many of y'all would just say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to be fashionably late, 10 to 15 minutes. Okay, great. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so before kids, I was always number one. And that came from just having a background where you're raised in, you know, playing athletics and, and, and early is on time, on time is late and late is you're in trouble. Right. And so that was just kind of how I was. Um, and then we had kids. And it's funny because when I used to do kids ministry at the first church I was on staff on, man, these, I would want our volunteers there at 9.30, and they'd be coming struggling, struggling in at like you know, 9, 9.50, 10 minutes. And I used to be so judgmental. It's like, well, just get up earlier. <laughs> and then I had kids. And what I've learned about having two kids under the age of three is that it doesn't matter what plans you make, and it really doesn't matter, like, how good a job you do to, like, leave on time. Like, you're just going to be late because when it comes to having kids, I don't know if it's something that God just sets up to make you patient or it's something that they conspire to do, but the truth of the matter about small kids is very simply this. Um, things just go wrong at the worst possible time. Apparently, we found that to be true, right? Like, for instance, uh, we're getting ready to, to leave and to head out um, to go see my parents a, a few months ago. And, and, like, we're actually, like, kind of on time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is actually going to work. And right when I think we're going to be on time, I come back in from loading the car because that's kind of the husband's job, right? You kind of do the jigsaw puzzle thing and get things set up. And I come in, and it turns out our toddler, who's in the midst of potty training, well, he does what you would expect with number two when potty training happens. It doesn't go in the intended target. It ends up on the carpet. That's what happens, right? And then it's like, okay, well, in the middle of that, and I don't know if my toddler and our geriatric dog, like, conspire together and, like, let's see if we can get mom and dad really good. Um, but, like, seconds after that happens, like, while my wife is cleaning up our toddler's mess, the dog loses whatever he ate on the carpet in the living room. And so, and so it's chaos. Like, you're trying to keep the dogs away from it. You're trying to keep the kids out of the mess. You're cleaning up the mess. But we finally get all this done and we're finally ready. And I'm carrying Jaden, who you just saw up here, to the car. I'm like, we're finally leaving. And so I'm going to get him in, turn the car on to get the air conditioning rolling, and then get uh, Kaysen strapped in and we'll all be in and get the dogs in. I get Jaden in, I turn the key in the ignition, and I don't hear the roar of the engine. All I hear is, and I'm like, that, 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 of course, that's exactly what would happen, right? Because you, you just kind of like, it always catches us off guard because we never planned for it. But like things, it just always seemed to kind of go wrong at the most inopportune, in most inopportune time. Um, and that's true often in parenting when you're trying to go somewhere. But the reality is, like that, can tend to, that tends to happen in life. And I think if we're being very honest, we live in a world where, where things just tend to go haywire. Things just tend to go wrong. We live live in a world that is very broken and messed up, and you could just say, I mean, it does tend to happen. Like, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, kids, no kids, like, we just live in a world where things just don't always go according to plan. 
Um, and you could say, think of it this way. This won't be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It happens, and it is both global and it's personal. What do I mean by that? When I say it is global, um, it affects the entire world. Whether we're talking about a pandemic um, that lasted like two years and, and shut us in our home for sometimes and then caused a lot of us to not have any toilet paper, which was a really strange season. Um, like, like that was weird, right? Um, or if we're talking about um, hurricanes that come through, if we're talking about monkeypox, like what in the world is even monkeypox? Like, 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 like that was just, just, just really interesting. Um, or whether we're talking about um, d- domestic crises, whether we're talking about social unrest, whether we're talking about political or racial division, or whether we're talking about soaring gas prices or inflation, like it just tends to happen the world over. It is global, but man, for all of us, we know this is true. It is very, very personal as well, right? Whether we're talking about a relationship that just kind of goes sideways, whether it's a relationship with a sibling, whether it's a relationship with a spouse or maybe even a former spouse, whether it's a relationship at work, a friendship, sometimes relationships go sideways. Sometimes um, if you're a parent, a child's life kind of goes sideways. They just kind of start tracking down a path that, 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 that just kind of breaks your heart in so many ways. Sometimes it's an unexpected medical diagnosis. Maybe it's a chronic diagnosis that you'll just kind of deal with the rest of your life. Maybe it's a terminal diagnosis where a doctor said, well, well, the reality is you've got X amount of time to live. Maybe it's a medical crisis. Maybe it's the sudden loss of a job and you kind of had a job and then all of a sudden the road just kind of gets pulled out from under your feet. Sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes it's maybe in a situation like, well, 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 I got a raise, but inflation is moving up so quick that, man, things are tighter than they've ever been. It is global and it is personal. And so the question becomes this, with it being a reality in the world we live in, with it being a feature of our lives that is never going to go away, what do we do and how do we respond when it happens. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians to, to kind of navigate this question over the next six weeks. And just to give you some background to this, Paul was a guy that was well acquainted with it. Paul is the author of Philippians. And let me just introduce you to Paul. When Paul steps onto the pages of history, he's not Paul the missionary. He saw the murderer. Saul starts off hating Christianity, hating the church. He wants nothing to do with it. In fact, his life's mission is to eliminate Christianity from the face of the earth. And then Jesus literally shows up in front of him, knocks him off his donkey, off his rear end, and basically says, hey, Paul, or excuse me, hey, Saul, you're mine. Saul gives his life to Christ. His name becomes Paul, and he becomes the single greatest influence on Christianity with the exception of Jesus himself, planting churches all over the Mediterranean, being an incredible missionary, and giving his life for the gospel. Now, his reward for that was a life filled with it. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, and I just want to say I'm super excited you're here, you may say, well, that doesn't give me much incentive to want to become a Christian. But here's what I can tell you. The reality is this. What the enemy wants you to miss is this. It is going to be a feature of your life whether or not you're a follower of Christ or not. The only difference is in Jesus, it can be redeemed. That's the big difference. 
And so Paul lives a life filled with it. He, he is flogged for sharing his faith in Christ. He is stoned a couple times, which just meant they threw rocks at him and left him for dead, but he somehow survived. He's shipwrecked multiple times, and the way he ends up in the situation where he writes Philippians is he's falsely accused in Jerusalem. He's imprisoned. He's kept there by corrupt politicians who are way more interested in currying favor with their constituents than actually carrying out justice. And then he's shipped off to Rome for trial, on the way there, he is shipwrecked, he is bitten by a snake, and now he finally gets to this place where he's in Rome and he's under house arrest, chained to at least one, maybe two Roman guards, and stuck in a house. Paul was an expert on it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll just be fully transparent. I don't know that I would have a great attitude if that was my life. Can we just agree on that and not be super spiritual? Like if that was your life, if that was my life, I think we might gripe a little bit. But man, Paul has this very unique perspective. He writes this in Philippians 1, chapter 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What Paul is saying here, which is so mind-blowing, is this. Man, all the it that happened to me, all the stuff that I've been through, all the stuff that I'm dealing with right now, guess what? It's actually been a good thing. It's actually even been a great thing because Something greater than me is happening through my life, and that's God's glory is being advanced. The gospel is being moved forward. People are coming to know Jesus. In fact, the whole palace guard, I have a captive audience every single day to share the gospel, and as a result, the whole palace guard now knows the gospel. They've heard about Jesus, and because of my boldness, the other brothers and sisters are becoming more bold, and the kingdom is moving forward. The reason Paul could say this is because Paul didn't live for himself. In fact, one of the things we say here at LifeSpring is the, that the mission moves us beyond us. What that means is this. We in and of ourselves are way too small a dream to live for. And I just want to push down on that for a moment. If you're here, whether you're a Christian or not, man, you, your pleasure, your happiness, your satisfaction, man, is too small a dream to live for. Because if your happiness, if your pleasure, if your personal satisfaction is the goal of your life, here's what I can promise you. When it happens, you will be depressed, you will be discouraged, you will feel like nothing is going to go right. But when you live for something beyond you, when you specifically live for God's glory and His kingdom and His mission, then when it happens, it no longer becomes a mess. It becomes a setup for a miracle. It no longer becomes a setback. It becomes a setup for God to do something incredible. It no longer becomes an obstacle to the will of God in your life. It becomes an opportunity for God to show himself strong in your life on your behalf. That's what happens when you live for the glory of God rather than the glory of yourself. Your entire perspective on it changes. And this is the point Paul gets at. If you skip down to verse 18, Paul says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false, I'm sorry, verse 19, I missed, sometimes preachers mess up. It's okay. Verse 19, he says, 
For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, this isn't just something that that is to God's glory. This is actually something that is for my benefit. And he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or death. In other words, Paul says, whether I'm executed because of my faith or whether I'm set free and continue sharing the gospel, like Jesus wins, God is glorified either way. And he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm actually torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But let me, let me pause and say this. Man, as a Christian, can you say that your ultimate hope really is, man, it's being in the presence of my Savior when this is all said and done, or do we have an inappropriate attachment to the things of this world? Think about that. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound in me. What Paul is saying is this. It doesn't matter what, what, what it I continue to go through. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what is happening. Guess what? God is going to be glorified. It's actually going to turn out for my good, and it's going to turn out for the joy of other people. In fact, you can jot this down if you're taking notes. No matter what it happens, it can result in God's glory, others' good, and our joy. It can result in a far better story for your life than a life of ease, comfort, and everything is hunky-dory. And can we just be transparent, honest here? Like, are those the stories we actually relate to and admire? You know, like, for instance, if you think about the Hunger Games, like, Katniss Everdeen is not admired because she's this gigantic, heroic She's admired because she works through obstacles and tremendous opposition to, to become a tremendous leader, right? When you think about Tom Brady, you know, the greatest of all time, blah, 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 and he is, I get that. But, but Tom Brady is admired not just because of his skill and maybe detested because he gets crappy calls that go his way all the time. I don't know why. But he's especially admired for doing things like coming back from 28 to 3 against my poor Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. Right? It's just a better, more disgusting, more nauseating story. Right? <laughs> Falcons are 3 and 3 this year, by the way. It has nothing to do with anything. But so think about something a little more serious. But think about the greatest generation. You know, the generation that grew up through the Depression that fought World War II. Why are they called the greatest generation? It's not because they had every technological advancement in the world. It's not because things were easy. It's not because they had information at their fingertips and they just mastered the world. No, it's because they had to go through extreme poverty, extreme circumstances, had to fight extreme evil, and they, were, and they got through it. And so why in the world do we admire those stories and yet then think the best life we could ever live is going to be one where everything is hunky-dory and nothing ever goes wrong? The reality, guys, is this. It can result in God's glory, others' good, and our joy if we have the right perspective on it. Paul had the right perspective on it. Now, that's inspiring, right? And that's really fun to preach because it's inspiring and hopeful and vision casting and awesome. But man, it's hard to live, isn't it? It's hard to live. And you know why it's hard to live primarily? 
You can write this down. Because the it on the outside reveals the it on the inside. Isn't that right? Like, like, like if you're a parent, you'll relate to this. Um, when things are starting to go haywire at home, like when the boys for us start losing their minds, like at first you're like, it's okay, it's all good. But then after about five minutes of it, like you feel your neck muscles start tightening, right? And your blood pressure starts going up and the frustration level starts mounting. And then when they decide to do this really high-pitched scream and just yell, then like you're here and all of a sudden you're raising your voice, you're losing your temper. You might even be, I don't know, yelling at your infant who refuses to nurse because he's very picky, even though he really doesn't know what's going on, but you're losing your temper at your infant, which I may or may not have done at some point in the last three or four months, and then before you know it, you're having to apologize to your kids for being a moron. (laughs) And what we would love to say is, well, they made me that way, because that's what we do, right? Somebody cuts us off, we tell them they're number one, we slam on the horn, we're like, well, they made us that way, and then It's fun to say stuff like that. It's fun to say things like, well, man, our political culture wouldn't be so divisive if politicians weren't so divisive. But a very wise lady, also known as my mama, um, said this one time. And it's like, my mama's told me a lot of things, but there are a few things that really, really stand out. And one of the things was this. Other people do not create your character. They just simply reveal it. And the same thing is true about circumstances. Other people, or excuse me, circumstances do not create your character. They just simply reveal what's already there. That is why it is so difficult to have this great perspective on it. Because usually when it happens, the reality is this, guys. Like when the kids start going nuts, I'm not like, Father God, thank you for this moment I have to grow in patience and mercy and grace. No, I'm the same as you guys. Like I start getting the tight neck muscles and the frustration and start getting irritated and all that sort of stuff. Like I'm exact same as you. And the reason for that, guys, is because the reality is this. All of us have it inside of us. It's because we're born with it. What we're primarily born with is sin, And I know that's not a popular term because we start thinking about, well, you saying what I'm doing is sin. Sin isn't so much something we do, although we do sinful things. Sin is who we're born as. And sin is just a word. It's actually an archery term in the Greek. It just means to miss the mark. Well, that's what the actual word means. It's to miss the mark. And a perfect God's mark is perfection. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I don't think anybody would. How many of us would dare to claim perfection as the story of our lives? None of us would. And so if God, to to, to be God is to be perfect, that means none of us have hope of standing in front of God and being like, hey, God, look at all the good stuff I've done. God, perfect God looks at us and says, no, you're imperfect. We're imperfect. That's why it comes out of us when it happens. We like to say this at LifeSpring. We're all a work in progress. And so I just want to like kind of like soften the blow a little bit. If you find yourself having it come out of you when it happens, guess what? That's okay because it's all of us. We're all a work in progress. We are not perfect people who've arrived. We are imperfect people who love Jesus and are in the process of being changed by Jesus. But I want you to hear me clearly today. God does want us to be a work in progress. He wants us to make progress. He wants us to 
change. And Jesus loves us the way we are, but man, he loves us way too much to let us stay the way we are. I'm so grateful that when Jesus saved me, he loved a guy who was angry, who was addicted, who was bitter, who was frustrated at life, who really had no clue where in the world he was going. And But I'm thankful he loved me the way I was. I'm also thankful he didn't let me stay there. And so what some of you guys need to hear this morning is God loves you exactly the way you are. He's not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with you right now, even with all the it that you're carrying around, even with all the it in your past, even with all the it in your present, all the baggage, all the skeletons in your closet. He loves you exactly the way you are right now, but he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. And he wants to draw you into himself. He wants to change your life. And I can promise there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. And he does want you to make progress. So the question we're going to wrestle with today is, how do we make progress when it happens? Because it is inevitable. It's going, to, it's going to happen. So how do we make progress? And I'll even add one more thing just, just before we move into answering that question. Oftentimes, I want you to think about what Paul said initially. He said, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Sometimes God knows in his sovereignty, being omniscient, knowing all futures possible and all futures that actually happen, sometimes, or excuse me, at all times, God knows that the it that he brings in your life is actually more, is it actually, believe it or not, the primary way you're going to make progress. In fact, um, one of the things I've tried to discipline myself to do is ask for consistent feedback, um, especially from people on our staff team. Um, and one of them told me recently that, that some of the biggest changes they've seen God do in me has really been in the last one to two years. Well, guess what's happened in the last one to two years? We had COVID, which decimated our church. We shrank as a church. We had a financial moment where, where we had to really tighten our belt. And just internally, I don't think I shared this at the time, but, but internally I was really wondering whether or not we'd actually survive. Um, but it's been in the middle of all that pressure and all that junk that I would never would have chosen to go through. That's where God has done some of his deepest work in me. So God wants us to make progress. God wants to change us through it. The question is, how do we make progress? Well, Paul has the answer for that. And we're going to read through these verses, then we're going to make some observations here. But Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Whatever happens... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're wondering what gospel is, let me just go ahead and define it. Gospel is a term that means good news, and the good news is this. Even though we're born sinful, even though we're born separated from God, even though we are born completely imperfect and unable to save ourselves, God in his love for us sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to come and live a perfect life in our place, live the life we could never live, and then die the death we should have died on a cross to pay the sin in debt that we owed God, and then come back to life to prove that that payment was enough so that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever repents of their sin and confesses him as Lord, can have eternal life. That's the good news. It's good news, guys, because God is not an angry father figure waiting for you to sin so he can go, bang! Now, don't, don't some of us have that view of God? We often view God as this angry father figure who's just waiting for us to step out of line so he can swat us with the divine flash water. That's not God, guys. That's not God, and I don't know what your daddy issues are in the past, and I understand if you grew up with an abusive father figure, I get it, but our heavenly father is perfect. He's not looking to beat you when you mess up. He came down into the muck through his son and said, hey, come to me. Come to me. Just, just like you would do as a parent, just like I've done as a parent. Like, well, like we had this one time, Casey got a little stomach bug. Uh, poor little fella. 
threw up. It's all over him. It's all over us. I didn't say, kid, get away from me. Go clean yourself up. No, I love his dad. I love him. We picked him up in his mess, cleaned him up. That's what God does for you. He doesn't say, clean yourself up before you come to me. He says, no, I'm coming down into the muck, into the crap, into the it to get you. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. So Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here I still have. In other words, yes, we believe in Christ, Guess what? That just guarantees we're going to go through it. But when we go through it, like Paul said, it serves to advance the gospel. So how do we make progress? Three observations from those verses. Number one is this. The gospel changes how I deal with it. The gospel changes how I deal with it. Before I became a parent, I'm just being, I'll just, crying babies got on my nerves. Like they really got on my nerves. And it made me wonder about parents, like, don't they care about the kid? And then, honestly, I didn't get the cute baby thing. It's like, it's like oh, cute baby. I'm like, eh. <laughs> Not really. I mean, if they're yours, great, that's fine. But, I mean, it doesn't really do much for me. Now that I've had kids, like, like my wife and I were at the state fair on, on Tuesday or whatever, um, and like, if I heard a baby, when I hear a baby cry now, not only can I identify what they're crying about, it kind of makes me sad, especially if our boys aren't with us. It's like, oh my gosh, somebody needs to take care of that kid. Like really, and honestly, when we walk by kids, it's like, oh, you are adorable. You are the cutest thing ever. You're not as cute as my kid, because let's be honest, nobody is. But, <laughs> and all of you parents think that way, right? But it's like, you are an adorable kid. What happened? Parenting happened in my life, and it changed me. Well, guys, in a similar way, coming to know Jesus, accepting the good news by faith, that's more than fire insurance from hell. In fact, I would even put it this way. Jesus is not, is not in the business of fire insurance. Jesus does not give you a ticket out of hell and then say, now you go live however the heck you want. Because the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that changes you. That's why Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's talking about the way you live life. What he's saying is this, man, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, guess what? You're to live in a way that reflects the gospel. You're to live in a way that reflects the fact that you have accepted Christ, that you've given your life over to him. So what does a life that reflects the gospel look like? It's just simply a life that reflects Jesus. What does Jesus reflect when he's here on earth? He, he, he exhibits humility. He exhibits courage. He exhibits boldness. He exhibits complete trust and obedience to his Father. He exhibits forgiveness. He exhibits mercy. He exhibits grace. I don't think those are the things that generally come to the surface when we start going through it, is it? But that's exactly the life Jesus calls us to, a life worthy of the gospel because the gospel doesn't just save you. The gospel begins to change you. 
So, so what do I need to do? How do I partner with the Lord in, 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 in seeing that change come into my life? I, I would say two things that are, that are features of the gospel. One is the grace of God, and not, not necessarily you becoming more gracious, but you letting the grace of God get deeper and deeper inside your heart. Because guess what? The thing that makes me a lot more merciful with my kids when they start going nuts or just doing things that I don't want them to do is when I understand that God is gracious towards me and that I often do things that God's like, don't do that. And God is very patient with me. And when I understand that as I'm in the process of parenting my kids, like God's in the process of parenting me, that's humbling, right? When I let that truth get deeper down into my heart, it makes me a more gracious person. And it makes me more grateful for what God has done. As I, as I become more grateful for what God has done, I just tend to give other people a lot more slack. And I'm not as uptight and wound up about things. But the second thing that's evident in the gospel is incredible hope. Because the gospel includes the cross, pain, suffering, death, but it also includes the empty tomb. And what that teaches us is, man, there's always hope. In fact, Jesus trusted his heavenly Father so much that he gave up his life knowing the Father was going to bring him back. What does that mean for us in terms of living a life worthy of the gospel? When God calls you to lay down your life, whether that is metaphorically or literally, you know what he calls you to do? Trust him enough to obey him and just follow through even when he calls you to walk right through it. And I can promise you this, if you're a follower of Christ, he will call you to walk right through it. The difference is, you're going to go through it whether you follow Jesus or not. But in Christ, it gets redeemed. In Christ, it becomes an incredible story of God's grace and his mercy and his power in your life. And that's not anything that we just gin up, and that's not anything that we hype ourselves up to do. That's something that comes out of an overflow of the gospel changing us because the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that changes you and it changes how we deal with it to where we stop getting all in a tight wad about stuff and we just we let God deal with the junk in our heart. We let his grace get down in our heart through the stuff. In fact, to be honest, the way God has brought the most stuff to the surface in my life and dealt with it is allowing me to go through it. And he's also taught me trust by allowing me to go through it. And that's changed how I deal with it. The gospel changes how I deal with it. The good news is God does not require us to go through it alone because he calls us to walk through it together. He calls us to walk through it together. That's one of the reasons why he gave us the church. We don't just gather here to, to listen to a guy preach or listen to some singing. We gather here because we really do believe we're at our best together and that the best life we could ever live is one lived in authentic community together and the deepest impact we'll ever make is when we serve together. And really the way we make progress through it is when we walk through it together. I'll give you an example. Um, again, before I became a parent, like all the horror stories that parents would tell me, like it freaked me out. And if you're a parent, you know this because you tell war stories, right? You tell war stories about how all this stuff that was expelled from your child was all over everything and all over you. And all, all, all the childless people that want to have kids are like, I'm not really sure I want to be a parent if you're telling me that stuff. I remember being that way. And now that I'm a parent, what do I talk about with other parents? <laughs> all the stuff that happens and sometimes I even talk about it with people who don't have kids yet. 
But you know what I've learned in that? What I've learned now is that before I was a parent, when parents would share stuff like that, it was actually a silent cry in a really funny roundabout way of saying, hey, I want somebody to walk through this with me because I'm a little over my head right now and I actually have no idea what I'm doing and I feel incredibly incompetent and kind of as a loser as a parent. And I just need, I'm just looking for a friend because that's exactly the way I feel when I tell you guys all the illustrations about my kids. <laughs> I'm just inviting y'all to walk through it with me. You know, because it's easier to walk through it when you have other parents who are like, I've been through the same stuff. It's easier to walk through it together. That's what Paul's getting at when he goes through verses 27 through 30 here. When he says, when he, when he refers to you here, it's plural, but he talks about, hey, I want you to stand firm in the one spirit. They talk about you, the, standing firm in the Holy Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And the overflow of this is they're not frightened, they're bold, they're courageous in what they do. Why? Because they're together. They're together. So here's a question I have for each and every one of us. To what extent is togetherness, particularly if you're a Christian, to what extent is togetherness with other followers of Christ an aspect of your life? And I get it, guys, because my default is not together. Like by default, I kind of have a really kind of a serious lone wolf streak. Like I'm happy to do it on my own. Like I don't I, like 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 generally my personality type doesn't generally feel like I need other people. Like I can just go out and do it. But you know what I've learned over the years? My life is so much better when I will intentionally be transparent and open and invite other people into my life. My life is so much richer. It's so much better. It, it actually feels a lot more coherent, to be honest. When I invite other people into my life and do life together. So is togetherness a feature of your lives? If not, there, there's kind of three opportunities I, I just want to share with you real quick. Uh, one would be connect groups. Will talked about that earlier. Man, be a part of a group. And the goal is not so much to come together and learn content, although that's nice. The goal is to find relationship with each other because relationship is the leverage for discipleship. Relationship is how we grow in our, in our relationship with Christ. You know why? Because when you get in relationship with other people, Scripture talks about it as iron sharpening iron. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. But you stand off each other's rough edges and you become more and more like Jesus in the process. Another way to walk through it together, uh, that's one of the reasons we have volunteer teams here. In fact, my favorite thing about our teams is not so much the stuff we do, but that every single Sunday morning, we huddle up for a little bit and we just share life. Man, what's going good in your life? What's the challenges in your life? And we pray for each other. And then, man, that's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing. And here, I'll say this. One thing I've learned as I've just, as the Lord has moved me to this place of being a lot more open and just reaching out to people, reality is all of us have some sort of it going on in our life in some way, shape, or form, just about at all times. And man, we need somebody else in our life to uphold us in prayer, to encourage us to speak into that, to not go through it alone. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. If you're not on a team, be a part of a team, not to make you busy, man, but to find community. And then uh, the last thing would just be partnering with us as a church. Uh, most churches use the word member. We use the term partner because members have rights, but partners have responsibilities, and partners have this idea of working together towards a common goal, and that's what we believe the mission of the church is meant to be. But partnering is not about stepping into a privileged class of people. It's saying, man, I want to be a part of a community of people striving together as one for the hope of the gospel. And I can promise you guys, 
when you have other people in your lives, like I'll just be honest, our staff team has been such an amazing blessing to me as the Lord has taught me to be more transparent and just really more open with different things I'm struggling with them. Um, that has been a blessing to me. 